Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm your host, Jonathan Strickland. I'm an executive producer with iHeartRadio, and how the tech are you? It's time for a Tech Stuff Tidbits episode, but this one's about a pretty complicated topic. And y'all, we could be at the beginning of a transformational moment within technology, one that potentially could lead to truly incredible results. Or it's possible we could just be waiting to find out that a promising experiment isn't really what we thought it was. And this all centers around superconductivity. Now, to understand superconductivity, we first have to talk about just plain old conductivity. The Clark Kent to superconductivity's Cal-L. And we're specifically talking about electrical conductivity rather than thermal conductivity for this episode. So, we say a material is conductive if it is well-suited to allow an electric charge to pass through it. Materials that resist electrical charges passing through them are insulators. In between conductors and insulators, you've got your semiconductors, which can behave like a conductor under certain conditions and like a resistor under others. So, a good conductor will allow electric charge through pretty easily, but... Some of that energy in that electrical charge will end up converting into heat 
and you lose that. This is because even good conductors like copper still have some electrical resistance. You can actually affect the amount of electrical resistance by changing the physical properties of the copper itself. Uh, for example, a very thin copper wire will have higher electrical resistance than a thick copper cable. It's made out of the same stuff, but the actual physical properties change things. But it still will have electrical resistance either way. And some of our appliances, like, say, toasters, they rely on electrical resistance. We purposefully build them so that they have these metal coils inside that heat up as we pass an electrical current through them, and that ends up toasting your bread. The electrical resistance causes some of the charge to convert into heat, so then you can toast your, your toast and make your BLTs or whatever. Resistance means that it is impossible for us to build a perfectly efficient electrical system under what I would call normal circumstances, like everyday type circumstances. In very, very specific circumstances, we can achieve it, but it is a lot of work and we'll get there. But under normal circumstances, we're always going to lose some energy due to electrical resistance. You know, it's going to boil off as heat. And this is why elite gamers out there have to invest in really effective cooling systems for their gaming rigs. Sometimes they get those like crazy water cooling systems. The overclockers out there might even play with like liquid nitrogen for usually an exhibition type thing. It's not something they would do for every day, but yeah, they have to deal with that because their gaming rigs have countless circuits in them. Like when you think of a CPU or a GPU, you know, central processing unit or graphics processing unit, essentially those are chips with just millions or billions of little circuits in them. And if you don't take the heat away from those circuits, then it's going to overheat and stuff is going to wear out. It's going to go wrong. It's going to shut down. So you have to have a way to manage the heat in the system. And that's why you've got these, these great cooling systems and these gaming rigs and other types of computers. So under normal circumstances, an electrical conductor will serve as a pathway for electricity, but you aren't going to get the same amount of electricity out as you put into it. There's always going to be less electricity coming out the other side because of the fact you lose some of it due to heat, unless, and this is where we have to go back in time. In fact, um, I don't think we've used the tech stuff time machine in a few years. Uh, looks like I still got it over there in the corner. It's holding one of my guitars. Let me just, just, uh, move that. Uh, Oh, that's okay. All right. There we go. And get in and, um, all right, let's, uh, set the dial to 1911. Here we go. Okay, we're in 1911, and here we see a Dutch physicist. His name is... Oh, no. Okay, I'm going to get this totally wrong. I'm just saying it right up front. I cannot pronounce Dutch names, but I'm going to give it a try. Just know that this is not the right pronunciation, and I understand, and I know it's terrible. You don't have to tell me. Anyway, Heike Kamerlink Onnes. And he's leading a research team, and they're studying the effects of very, very cold temperatures on electrical conductivity. I mean, like, exceedingly cold temperatures. So his team is currently cooling a sample of mercury 
to minus 269 degrees Celsius. That's 4.2 Kelvin. So we're not that much higher than absolute zero, like the temperature of deep space. And his team is now observing that at this temperature, Mercury's resistance drops to zero. It no longer has electrical resistance. It has become a perfectly efficient conductor for electricity, a superconductor. And it turns out that below a specific critical temperature, and that temperature depends upon the material that we're using at the time, the conductor will go through a fundamental change that means they no longer offer resistance to electrical charges. Why? Well, that's a darn good question. Uh, to answer that, let's let's get back to present day. All right, everyone, back in the time machine. Here we go. Woof. Oh, it's hotter than I remember. Okay, well, here we are. Uh, so our understanding of physics at the time of this discovery of superconductivity had no explanation as to why this would happen or how it happens, or in fact, even what was happening on a granular level. I mean, we knew that resistance was dropping to zero, but we didn't know what was happening to cause that. Even quantum theory shrugged and said, beats me, daddy -o. I got no idea. It would actually take a few decades before some researchers proposed a hypothesis regarding what was going on. And well, their hypothesis, while good, doesn't cover everything. But anyway, between 1911 and 1957, 1957 is when we would get that hypothesis, there was another discovery relating to superconductivity that was really neat. Two German scientists, Walter Meissner and Robert Oxenfeld, found that when a conductor was cooled to that superconductor state, when it dropped below its critical temperature, it would also expel magnetic fields. So... We've talked a lot about electromagnetism in this podcast, right? If you pass a conductive material through a magnetic field, the magnetic field induces current to flow through the conductor, right? This is what allows us to make things like electrical transformers in uh, alternating current transmission. We also know that an electric charge moving through a conductor generates a magnetic field. I mean, I'm sure everyone out there has done some version of the physics experiment where you take copper wire and you wind it around uh, uh, an iron nail and you connect the, the wire to a battery and now you've got yourself an electromagnet. So there's this beautiful relationship between electricity and magnetism that we've been studying for you know, more than a century now. Well, with superconductors, Meissner and Oxenfeld observed that nearly all internal magnetic fields that should be passing through the superconductor material were zeroed out. They didn't exist. The exterior magnetic field intensified. So it turns out that the magnetic fields that normally would be able to pass through the superconductor material were now being expelled. They were passing around it as if the superconductor had some kind of force field against magnetic fields being able to penetrate it, similar to how electricity can't get out of a superconductor, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't boil off in the form of heat. Magnetic fields can't get into a superconductor under normal conditions. We'll actually talk a bit about the limitations of that in just a moment. Now, one super interesting thing 
about the so-called Meissner effect. Now, some folks will actually include Oxenfeld and so call it the Meissner-Oxenfeld effect. But more often than not, I just see the Meissner effect, which is, you know, just shows that you really want that top billing. Anyway, one really interesting thing happens when you bring a permanent magnet near a superconductor that then is brought to below its critical temperature. So normally the magnetic fields that are emitted by the permanent magnet would also then pass through the superconductor once the magnet's close enough. So if you have a superconductor material, but you haven't cooled it below its critical temperature, it's not acting as a superconductor yet. You could put a physical magnet right on top of that. Then if you cool the superconductor material so that it does go below its critical temperature, it starts to expel magnetic fields. Well, the permanent magnet is generating a magnetic field that otherwise would be passing through the superconductor. Since the superconductor is expelling the magnetic fields, it pushes against the permanent magnet and the permanent magnet will levitate and appear to really lock in place above the superconductive material. You could also lay this out so that you had, say, a, a electromagnetic track on the underside of a table and take a puck of superconductor material that's cooled below its critical temperature and lock it in place below the the electromagnet. That's possible, too. I've seen that. But it looks really cool because it looks like it's just magically hanging there in the air. And you can change its orientation and it will maintain that orientation above the superconductor material. Now, there's a lot that's going on here. It's not just like magic. In fact, it's not magic at all. But the explanation gets really tricky. There's like kind of like little currents, like a little eddy within the superconductor that's effectively creating a magnetic field that matches but repels the permanent magnet's field, no matter what orientation you put it in. You change the orientation of the magnet, the little eddies, which are really little currents of electrons in the superconductor material change, and then it continues to repel the magnet perfectly. This, to get more specific, would get into quantum mechanics. Uh, and I would just goof that up if I were to attempt to explain it, because it is well beyond my understanding. So I will say that if you haven't watched any videos of magnets interacting with superconductors or vice versa, you should really check that out. There are a ton of them on YouTube. They are really fascinating to watch. It looks at first like you're watching some sort of camera trickery because the, the materials are behaving in a way that's counterintuitive. We don't see stuff like that in our day-to-day -day lives. It's really interesting. And the fact that you can position the magnet in different orientations with regard to the superconductor, and it will just stay in that position relative to the superconductor as if it's locked in space, it's really remarkable. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk about that hypothesis I alluded to earlier and how it attempted to explain what was going on. But first, let's thank our sponsors. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. 
Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Hello! Acclaimed comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater, Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter, Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. All right, we're back, and now we're getting up to the 1950s, and a trio of American scientists, John Bardeen, Leon Cooper, and John Schrieffer, proposed a microscopic theory of superconductivity, and it became known as the BCS theory. It took the first letter off of each scientist's last name. The theory has to do with electron pairs and crystalline lattices within the superconductor and uh, these vibrations called phonons. And I can't really pretend to fully understand it or even partly understand it, but it does a good job of describing what's happening for supercooled superconductive materials. However, this particular hypothesis or theory did not explain 
how this would work with superconductors that could operate at so-called high temperatures. You know, beyond a, a threshold, this theory doesn't really apply. And the problem is we were observing effects that went beyond the parameters this theory would cover. Now, when I say high temperature, I'm not actually talking about anything that you or I would consider a high temperature. In fact, it's quite the contrary. We're still talking temperatures that can get down to as low as almost minus 200 degrees Celsius. Uh, to date, I want to say that the hottest superconductor uh, that ever operated is still like around minus 25 Celsius, something like that. And even then it's under intense pressure. We'll talk about pressure too. So, you know, we're really talking about very, very, very cold temperatures, even with the so-called high temperature superconductors. It's just that they're much higher than, say, minus 269 Celsius. Until very recently, all claims of finding material that displays superconductivity at temperatures that we would even remotely consider comfortable have all fallen through, right? Like scientists would submit a paper suggesting that they had made a breakthrough and found such a material and then later retract those papers, discovering that, in fact, there was some sort of mistake uh, along the way and they were not correct. And so they had to, you know, take it back. Now, interestingly, two factors can potentially destroy the superconductor state. And one we've already mentioned is temperature, right? If the temperature goes above the critical temperature, for superconductors, then the material loses superconductivity. They will again have electrical resistance. It will no longer expel magnetic fields. But the other factor that can disrupt the superconductor state would be a sufficiently powerful magnetic field. I mentioned like a regular permanent magnet on top of a superconductor, you'll see the permanent magnet levitate. Well, if that permanent magnet was super strong, like it really had very strong magnetic fields, then that could be more than what the force field the superconductor generates can handle. And the magnetic fields will pierce through the superconductor. And for one subset of superconductors, that's enough for it to completely lose superconductivity under those conditions. Take the magnet away and you keep it at its critical temperature. It go goes back to being a superconductor. But in the presence of powerful enough magnetic fields that can overpower the superconductive material and it just becomes a regular conductor again. Now, as I mentioned, there, there are magnets that can do that and will disrupt superconductors. But there are other types of superconductors that can actually kind of roll with the punches a little bit. So there, in this regard, there are two broad classifications that we can talk about with superconductors. There's type one. This is the type that will lose superconductivity in the presence of a strong applied magnetic field. Then you have type two superconductors. These will actually continue to operate as a superconductor, even in the presence of a strong applied magnetic field. It's just that at the points where the strong magnetic field intersects with the superconductor, you get non superconducting material. So like within the same mass, just imagine you've got a big old puck of the superconductor material and you've got the strong applied magnetic field that intersects with the superconductor material at that local 
point where there's that intersection, that would no longer be performing like a superconductor. But other areas of the puck that are not intersecting with this magnetic field continue to act like a superconductor. This is a type two superconductor material. This is why we're able to use superconductors in uh, labs that involve really powerful magnets. So, for example, the Large Hadron Collider, you know, particle accelerators, they need really, really strong magnets in order to drive those subatomic particles at speeds that are close to the speed of light. But they also need superconductors in order to do that. And if there were no type two superconductor material out there, it wouldn't work because the magnets would end up shutting down the superconductors. They would just become regular conductors. You would lose too much energy in the form of heat and the whole operation wouldn't work. So fortunately, there are these type two superconductors out there that can kind of localize where the disruption happens and the rest of the material can still perform as a superconductor. It's pretty mind blowing. Now, there are some big drawbacks with superconductors as I have described them. Uh, I mean, you've got to super cool the stuff, which means making use of materials of like liquid nitrogen or liquid hydrogen, which is really expensive. It's dangerous. I mean, this material is so cold that it will cause in incredible damage if you were to come into contact with it for any you know sufficient length of time. Uh, and it's really hard to use this stuff like it's it's got a huge barrier to being able to do it, which means that our applications for superconductors are by necessity really limited. They have to be limited to just the stuff that really needs the superconductors to work and are like huge, like moonshot level experiments and, and scientific research stuff like particle accelerators. Like that's such a huge undertaking that using superconductors is part of the whole process, but you can't use superconductors to do more mundane stuff because it's way too expensive and complicated to make it practical. It just, it doesn't work. Now you can actually adjust that critical temperature I was talking about. You can actually make that higher so that you can operate at higher temperatures and still have superconductivity, but only if you're increasing the pressure that's on the system. So it has to be in a pressurized chamber, right? This is why like the hottest superconductor can operate at, you know, minus 25 degrees or whatever it might be. It's because it's inside a system that has incredible pressure applied to it. So again, you're even if, even as you remove the need to super cool it to like really, really cold temperatures, you increase the need to have to create these incredible pressure chambers. So it's a trade-off, right? Like you're, you're having to trade one difficult set of circumstances for another, and it still makes it very expensive and dangerous and complicated. Now, if we could make a superconductive material that performs as a superconductor, but does so at room temperature and at, you know, ambient air pressure, that would change the world. When we come back, I'll explain how it would change the world and why some people think we might already be there. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. 
Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan, and on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change. But with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices. And that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is, experience. And you can finally say goodbye to the costly mistakes and risks that come from manual work and spreadsheets. So, while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. Claim comics writer and notorious Scott Summers hater Rosie Knight. Well, hello, Emmy-winning podcaster and totally unbiased Targaryen royal supporter Jason Concepcion. Rosie, somehow the X-Ray Vision podcast has returned. It feels so good. It does. And like always, we'll be here every week covering the wide world of TV, movies, comics, and geek culture. That's right. We'll be talking about Batman, heroes of that stature, and of course... We'll be inviting our friends in the industry to come geek out with us and share stories. We'll hear from TV writers, from actors, comics creators, pop culture critics, and more. Nothing is off the table because geek culture is pop culture. And we can't wait to share our love of it all with you every single week. Listen to X-Ray Vision on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to level up your marketing and business knowledge, then look no further than the Marketing School podcast hosted by Neil Patel and yours truly, Eric Sue. It is the number one marketing podcast in the United States and number 15 on business in the United States. And it has amazing guests such as Alex Hermosi, Layla Hermosi, Cody Sanchez. We pull in these amazing interviews with other people that are not only great marketers, but actual operators. And the icing on the cake is Neil and myself were also operators as well. So we share learnings from the trenches. We share secrets that we otherwise wouldn't be sharing with other people. And we also share other advantages that will help you get ahead of your competition. So all you have to do is listen to Marketing School every weekday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back. I had mentioned that if we could make superconductive material that performs at room temperature, ambient air pressure, it would really change everything. Well, it's pretty easy to imagine, right? Let's just take the really mundane example of that gaming PC I talked about earlier. 
Imagine you've got this crazy tricked out gaming PC. It's got the latest processors in it. It's incredibly powerful, but all the circuits are made out of material that's a superconductor, which means there's no heat being generated. It's not losing any electricity due to heat. This means a couple of really big things. One, we don't need any of those cooling systems anymore. There's no heat being generated, so there's no heat to take away. You don't need water cooling or even fans because you're not losing any energy due to heat. So a big old chonker of a gaming PC would run silently. There'd be no moving parts. You would just have these incredible circuits made out of the superconductive material that can operate at room temperature. But also, we wouldn't need as much power to run our PC because none of our power is being lost in the form of heat. It's perfectly efficient. You would be able to achieve that level of performance with less power because you don't have to factor in power loss at all. Perfect transmission of electricity would be a possibility. And that's interesting for a PC. Like you just suddenly think like, oh, I wouldn't need as big of a power supply and it would mean a lower electricity bill. But let's expand that. Think about that for the purposes of actual electricity transmission from power plant to destination. What if all the power lines were made of the superconductive material? Now we would be able to transmit electricity with no loss. You would have incredible efficiency. It would mean that we wouldn't need to produce as much electricity, at least to meet our current demand. So if we were to assume that everyone was using exactly the same amount of electricity on the end of it as they are right now, then the amount of electricity we would need to produce would be much lower because we wouldn't lose anything in the process. We would end up having a, a smaller demand on our power generation. That being said, between me and you, that's never how it works out. <laughs> if our ability to produce electricity exceeds whatever the current demand is, we just typically see a demand rise in response, right? It's not that, oh, now we're producing more electricity we need than we need. It's, oh, now we can use more electricity. So now we need more. <laughs> That's how it typically goes. But it's still a nice thought, right? This idea of perfectly efficient transmitters. That would be amazing. And these efficient electrical systems would mean other stuff too, like batteries would last longer, right? Because again, you don't lose any energy in the form of heat. Uh, more efficient systems means longer battery life, even without uh, an, an effective change to the batteries themselves. The improvement in the circuitry would mean the batteries would last longer. They wouldn't be having to, to deplete so quickly which means things like electric vehicles would see a boost in how far they could travel on a single charge. Again, not because the battery technology has improved, but because we're using the superconductive material for the circuitry within the electric vehicle. On the flip side, let's say it's in, you know, consumer phones. Your phone would not have to recharge nearly as frequently. You would be able to hold a charge much longer because again, increased efficiency. It's actually really hard to express how big a deal this would be. I mean, it, it affects everything from environmental issues to financial issues to, you know, all sorts of stuff. And I haven't even touched on what it would mean for science, like being able to have a room temperature operating superconductor would suddenly make things like particle accelerators 
orders of magnitude easier to build. They would still be really complicated. Don't get me wrong. It's not like it would suddenly become something we could all make in our backyards, but it would be way easier than the systems that were needed to create the Large Hadron Collider, which means increasing accessibility to that kind of science, which means being able to learn a lot more about our universe. Like these are the sort of big, big picture things that would be possible with an actual working room temperature, superconductive material. But all of those possibilities depend upon a whole bunch of stuff that we just aren't sure about yet. And the reason I'm talking about this at all and, uh, you know, I mentioned this in a news episode, but maybe you've heard about it otherwise, is that some researchers in South Korea revealed that a material they made in a lab, which they call LK-99, appears to be superconductive at temperatures as warm as 127 degrees Celsius. That's 269 degrees Fahrenheit. So that means that at any temperature below those this material would be beneath its critical temperature and would operate as a superconductor. So 269 degrees Fahrenheit, y'all, it is hot outside, but it's not that hot. It would mean that we could make power lines out of this stuff. And if in fact it works as a superconductor, we could have a future with perfect transmission of electricity. If <laughs> so, LK 99 consists of appetite uh, lead and small amounts of copper. And the researchers from South Korea who developed this material actually laid out the process for baking it. Like they explained the process they did for creating this material. In turn, that has led to a ton of people, including some DIY scientists, to try and make this stuff for themselves and to test it out. Now, beyond the question of, is this actually performing as a superconductor, which is an open question, right? It's as I record this, it has not been verified by experimentation. There are other questions that remain. So let's assume just for the argument's sake that yes, it does act as a superconductor for whatever reason, which is again, just an example for this thought experiment. We would have other questions we would have to ask like, is it hard to synthesize? Is it easy? Is it easy to create in the specific way so that it does perform as a superconductor? Or was that something of a happy accident that will be very hard to replicate? If it is replicable, is it something that could be mass produced? If it could be mass produced, would it actually be suitable for things like power lines? Or is its composition such that it wouldn't really work in that? It wouldn't be a good uh, replacement. What conditions will it act as a superconductor? If it encounters a powerful magnetic field, is it like a type one superconductor material? And does it just stop performing as a superconductor until that magnetic field is removed? We need to know these answers. Now, there've been a couple of labs that have reported that based on computer simulations, they have run the material does appear to have superconductive properties. This, by the way, is not something that labs across the board have all agreed on, but some, including a couple of prominent ones, have said that they've run this, the simulations and at least on a simulation level, it seems to work out all right. But these are just simulations. 
They are not actual practical experiments with real material. It's all computers running numbers, essentially. So skeptics are not satisfied just yet. And I think that's a wise thing to be. I think it is wise to be skeptical. I think you could be optimistic, but keep some skepticism, or if you prefer, employ some critical thinking. I really want to believe these researchers have created material that can work as a superconductor under room temperature conditions because of all the reasons we've talked about and more. But we also have to remind ourselves that very earnest scientists thought they had done similar things in the past, only to later find out that's not actually what was going on. So we need to prepare ourselves for this potentially being another example of an interesting, exciting experiment that ultimately fails to measure up to what was initially hoped. Maybe other labs will replicate LK99. Maybe they will test it and see that it truly does perform as a superconductor under room temperatures and room air pressure. And if that's the case, we will have a truly technological revolution ahead of us. Even if we can't use it for everything, the things we can use it for, it will be transformative. However, that has not yet happened as I record and publish this episode. And maybe we find out that, in fact, it's not a superconductor after all. Maybe there's some interesting things. Maybe there's some, you know, regular magnetic material that's in there that's that's creating some interesting effects. We'll have to wait and see. So my advice to you, as always, is try to use critical thinking. Don't, you know, you don't need to outright deny that it's a possibility unless there's like people who can show definitively (laughs) that, no, there's no way based upon our understanding of physics that this works. Um, I mean, it could show that we have something fundamentally wrong with our understanding of physics, but that in in turn would be truly huge. But yeah, use critical thinking, but reserve some of that excitement just in case, as is possibly likely, it doesn't pan out. I hope it pans out. It would be truly incredible. Um, And there are a lot of interesting debates going on in the scientific world about whether or not it's feasible. And I honestly don't know enough to be able to weigh in myself. I just want to be skeptical a little bit but hopeful. That's kind of my approach. Speaking of hopeful, I hope you are all well, and I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Running a business is no cakewalk, but with SAP Concur Solutions, you can be ready for anything. You can manage travel, expenses, and AP all on one platform that's packed with AI and best practices, and that delivers it all through an easy, clear, I can't believe how simple that is experience. So while not much can be done about that guy who never fails to burn the microwave popcorn and stink up the entire office, with SAP Concur, you can easily handle almost anything else. Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two. 
I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Huh? Oh! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.